You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics while taking Christian truth into the arena of ideas, this is the Bellator Christie Podcast. And this is yours truly, Brian Chilton, as we uh, welcome you to the podcast today. We are obviously uh, thinking about and praying for those individuals, as I'm sure you've heard, uh, that were killed in um, horrible fashion this past uh, Sunday, October 1st, in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, Stephen Paddock uh, is an individual who who unloaded into a crowd several rounds of ammunition and um, killing 58 individuals, 59 including himself, and um, injuring more than five and so we obviously want to um, remember those individuals in our thoughts and prayers who were affected by this. And so uh, um, just a horrible, horrible thing. Um, and so we're going to talk a little bit about that shooting. We're going to talk a little bit about the uh, reasons behind the shooting or reasons behind things like this and 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 it really comes down bottom line it comes down to evil and so we're going to look at a few few things uh from an article that i posted uh earlier uh this well actually by the time i aired this this would be last week uh why all the evil in the world so we're going to take a look at that also in the podcast, we're going to take a look at uh, an, an interesting topic on church discipline. Is it biblical? Is church discipline biblical? And there are several forms and fashions of of um, 
of that, and so uh, we will be talking about that in just a few moments as well. So, uh, just do want, want to remind you that the Bellator Christie podcast is a production of BellatorChristie.com, and we do encourage you to go to the website, and by doing so, uh, while you're there, check out the articles, and also uh, click the subscribe button. When you do so and enter your email address, you'll receive all of the articles from BellatorChristie.com, as well as links to the podcasts as soon as they become available. So go to bellatorchristie.com. Be sure to click subscribe. We would greatly appreciate that. Also, you can find uh, Bellator Christie Podcast on several apps. Uh, we are on uh, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, as well as iTunes. So if you go to any of those apps and subscribe to the podcast, you can take the Bellator Christie podcast with you on the go. So we do encourage you to do that. So also want to let you know about, before we take a first commercial break, want to let you know about a... Um, the fact that uh, the evidence that demands a verdict is now available at bookstores everywhere. I'm still waiting on my copy. I think we are in a uh, bad delivery section. I've noticed that uh, being a part of the launch team, I've noticed that many individuals uh, who are on the launch team have already received their book, and so I'm still waiting. <laughs> I was one of the last to receive the promotional T-shirt, and so uh, it, it only stands to reason that I'll be one of the last <laughs> to receive the book as well. So I don't know something about this area. I don't know why, uh, but it seems like we're one of the last to receive the materials. Uh, but that's okay. But anyhow, the, the book is fantastic. I highly encourage you to go get your copy of Evidence Demands a Verdict. Uh, it is available now at bookstores everywhere everywhere <laughs> excuse me so with that in mind we're going to um, take our first commercial break uh, and just also want to remind you that uh, here coming up in the next couple of weeks there may be a couple of weeks maybe a week or two where uh, we will not be able to have the podcast the conversational podcast that is uh, on the air uh, you also will notice that there was no message that was posted this week uh, the good reason for that, we had, uh, we're had we just coming off an exciting week at Huntsville Baptist Church. Uh, we had a uh, homecoming service last Sunday, and uh, we had uh, three speakers uh, preaching at a revival as well. So we had a great time. want to thank, uh, again, Paul Wyatt, who, who spoke for us at homecoming, and also want to thank uh, Rick Page, Tim Tucker, and Christopher Burcham all for being with us uh, at the revival. So, again... Uh, we will get back on track with the message, the weekly message next week. So uh, be listening for that as well. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be back in a few moments as we talk about church discipline. Uh, is it biblical? We'll talk about that, and later in the show, we'll take a look at the latest on Stephen Paddock and the uh, Los Angeles shootings, as well as uh, the whole topic of evil on this power-packed show. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast. When I first wrote Evidence That Demands a Verdict, truth wasn't so much an issue as what is truth, can you know truth, but now it is. Some of the issues are different because of the internet, like the claim that Jesus doesn't even exist. Are there other gospels that should have been in the Bible? Is Christianity just a copycat religion? So when we updated this, because I hear it from students so often, I thought we have to have the single best chapter that responds to this claim, and I think we do. 
we had to rewrite evidence demands a verdict because there's so much new evidence out there. It's like one Greek scholar said, the evidence now for the scriptures is like a tsunami, an avalanche that is hitting. And we want you to be aware of that. We want every young person, every student, every pastor, every professor to be aware of the new evidence out there, to understand not just what they believe, but why they believe it. Evidence that demands a verdict. On sale everywhere, October 3rd, 2017. Go to hashtag true evidence. All right, we're back here on the Bellator Christie Podcast. We thank you for being with us today. And so um, we are uh, looking to look at a topic on church discipline today. And uh, this, is, uh, this is an issue that is very, uh, well, has become controversial in our day and time. Is it okay to correct a fellow believer? And, and that's, that's a big question. Is it okay to correct a fellow believer? Okay, If someone is straying down a path that is not uh, appropriate, not good, and you see someone straying from the faith, is it appropriate to say something to someone? Is it appropriate to do something uh, to try to help that individual? Now, we all know in this culture in which we live, no one wants to hear that they might be wrong. No one wants to hear that uh, their actions may be problematic. So we live in a culture where um, church discipline may be far more difficult now than it has been in times past. But we want to take a look at this biblically. We want to take a look at what the Bible has to say because, listen... If there's one thing I'm learning in life, if there's one thing I'm learning while being in the ministry, that is, if you seek to abide by the teachings of Scripture, you're not going to be popular with the world. <laughs> and I, and I've, I've learned that. you know. And it's just something, if you're in the ministry, and that's something, if, if you're listening to this podcast, maybe you're thinking about going into the ministry, uh, I would encourage you, but make, I would encourage you to make sure that it's God's will before you do. But I would tell you that uh, expect some opposition. If you stand for the truths of Scripture, you will face opposition. And, you know, we you may as well just accept that because especially the more our culture turns from biblical truth, the more foreign biblical truth is going to sound. But when we apply it to life, when we see the truths found in Scripture, we're going to find that it's tr- what it says is right. Okay. So the question is church discipline biblical. And so what do we mean by church discipline? Well, I was looking at a uh, an article 
and in fact, I was kind of praying out about and looking over some things to discuss on today's podcast, and I, I stumbled across a an article by Mark Dever in the CSB, that is the Christian Standard Bible Study Bible, and on page 1534, he has an article entitled Church Discipline, and he, and he says, um, as he begins, he says, Jesus Christ, and I quote, Jesus Christ founded and purchased the church with his blood in Acts 20, 28. And he builds it upon acknowledgement and faith in him as Messiah, Matthew 16, 18. This means the church belongs to Jesus and represents him to the nations. In this light, the purity of the church is vital. Now, let me repeat that. In this light, the purity of the church is vital. Rightly practiced, church discipline helps ensure that purity. So, when we talk about church discipline, we, we're, we're talking about the correction of someone who is found in error. Maybe it's a scriptural teaching, or maybe it's an erroneous teaching that's come across in the, in the church. Maybe it's a problem with some type of sin in the person's life. Uh, maybe there's an attitude that's, uh, that's causing problems with an individual, or maybe they're having uh, problems in their relationship with other individuals. Uh, it, it behooves us as Christian leaders to step in and say something and try to help as best as we can. Sometimes I found that it may not be possible to help, but you pray for the person. But you do, I think, take measures to try to bring forth some type of form of church discipline. And Mark Dever says that there are two types. There's what's called the formative discipline and the corrective discipline. Formative discipline, he says, is a preventative measure that includes positive teaching of biblical truth through sermons and Sunday school lessons. It also includes modeling godliness and mentoring new believers. So formative, uh, formative discipline includes the preaching and teaching of God's Word. It includes teaching Sunday school lessons. And, but, but in addition to this, it also it also requires a person to model godly behavior. And here is where we get into the crux of this issue. The crux of this issue is found in Christian integrity. Being a person whom you say you are. Folks, I cannot overemphasize the importance of Christian integrity. And folks... And I, I, not to beat a dead horse, but I still say the things we do, the things we say, and even the things we post online are tremendously important. And I would even dare say that uh, the things you post online says more about your character than what you may want it to. Okay, so what do you spend your time posting online? And I'm not trying to sound like I'm being the Facebook police, but I do know at conferences before, I have seen this. I have seen this firsthand. At conferences, I've heard how churches, how organizations have, have these, um, these, these tools where they can go and they can find everything you've ever posted, everything you've ever liked, everything you've ever said 
on social media. Okay, the, the problem with posting things online, we think it's innocent. We have our own personal pages, but understand something here. If you post something, everyone can see it. And while you may take it down, the imprint that you have made online lasts for as long as there is a World Wide Web. It lasts as long as there is an Internet. And so it's very difficult to take down something like that. Now, you can take it down from Facebook, but the imprint it has left, in many cases, may transcend the, 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 the time that you're online. So you, we have to understand that we have a great responsibility as Christians not to post derogatory things. You know, and, and, and um, I would also agree that, that at times we may need to just refrain from entering into certain topics because uh, do, doing so may get us riled up. It may, get us, it may dirty our hands, sully our hands in areas where we don't need to be. Okay? But, for, but, um, but formative discipline is this preventive measure that includes positive direct teaching of biblical truth through sermon Sunday school lessons, modeling godliness, and mentoring new believers. Corrective discipline is used. Uh, it's the second form of church discipline. This is used when trouble arises and can include contradicting, challenging, rebuking, and excommunicating a member for unrepentance or erroneous teachings. Now, this is a last step, but this is sometimes necessary. This is sometimes necessary. I have had to do this before in church ministry. It's not fun. It's not pleasant. It's not something that I like doing, but it is important that we do it. How can we be leaders if we don't stand for truth? How can we be leaders if we don't show and help individuals through their Christian walk. A lot of times I think we want, to, we want a deistic form of Christianity. We want a hands-off Christianity where we don't involve ourselves in the lives of others. But folks, that's just not possible. Not in due ministry. That doesn't mean that we stick our noses in businesses and in places where it doesn't belong. It doesn't mean that at all. But at the same time, it does mean that we show an interest and if we see someone stumbling that we reach out a hand and try to help them. And so I want to show you three areas that I found, and there may be many others, but three areas, general areas in Scripture, where we see that church discipline is a biblical concept. And we first start off in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Jesus says these, these words, If your brother sins against you, Go and rebuke him in private. Now, here is the first step. Understand this. You need to go to that person one-on-one -on -one and try to work out the problems before you bring anyone else in this. The problem so many times is that we don't want to take this step. We want, to, we want someone else to handle. We want the lazy way. We want someone else to handle this. We want someone else to do this for us so we don't handle it ourselves. A lot of times, if we just simply take the first, <coughs> excuse me, the first step in this process, we'll solve the problem. But so many times we don't do that. Okay, if your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he won't listen, take one or two others with you, so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. 
if he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. Okay, now, so let's, let's, see, let's follow these steps. Let's follow this as it progresses. The first step is you go to and talk to the individual privately, just you and that person with whom you have a trouble, with whom you have the offense. Okay, if, if he won't listen, take one or two others with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact can be established. You're bringing people along to serve as mediators. Okay, it can be a pastor, it can be a deacon, it can be a Sunday school teacher, someone you trust. So take two or three others along with you. Okay, if he doesn't pay attention to them, then tell the church. Bring it before the church, the church leadership. So you may have some individuals... Uh, you know, let's just say you bring this, uh, you, you go to the person individually, they won't listen to you, you take mediators, counselors with you, they won't listen, then you take it before like a church council, maybe a, a group of pastor and deacons, okay, if he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth, you have, you will be, have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth, uh, will have been loosed in heaven, uh, again, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. So this is the steps. These are the steps we should use in trying to correct a problem that we have. Go to the person first individually. And try to see if you can work things out with that person individually. And if you can't individually, then take some mediators with you to try to work things out. It may be that having a third party involved in this will help work out the situations. If that doesn't work, then take it before the church. If that doesn't work, then the best thing is you still pray for the person, you still love the person, but you just need to split ties with the person. You just need to separate yourself from that individual because things aren't... If, if it takes two people to, to make a relationship work, and if one person is just bound and determined that they are not going to forgive and they're not going to work things out, then there's not a lot you can do individually for that. And so that in that case, when it comes to a church, you know, you still want a person to come to church, but if a person's in leadership, you know, it may be time for that person to step down at that particular time until they're able to work things out. So when we see this in, in, in churches, when we see this in relationships, this three-step model is the best model to use, folks. Some people don't like this because they don't like the first step. But the first step is integral in fixing a problem. Because I've seen so many times, in fact, I've seen people with me who've been angry with me for reasons I don't even understand. You've got to go to that person. You've got to go to that person and work things out with that individual because the, the chances are likely that the person doesn't even know that you were even offended. And I dare say that, that I won't say 90%, but I'll say 75 to 80% of the time, if a person knows that they have offended you, they'll be willing to work things out. If you just simply go in a calm, level-headed manner, not trying to cause a fight, but trying to work things out, then things will work out a lot better. We also see another situation where uh, as church discipline is important as it restores relationships, that's, that's, the, that's the actual absolute uh, um, uh, fundamental of church discipline. The, the main fundamental is that it's, it's trying to restore broken relationships. Church discipline is also important as it corrects straying believers. You may see a person going down a path 
that you know is going to lead that individual away from Christ. Maybe it's presenting a bad test. Maybe there's something going on in that person's life, and it's um, it's um, that person is uh, um, they're, they're accepting maybe a mindset that is going to that's going to be problematic. That's why I talked about the concerns I have with with saying that uh, the I am statements aren't of Jesus. It's the concern I have with some scholars who are basically taking apart or, 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 or claiming some areas of the Gospels as not being true. I see problems with that. And it's not just a matter of being a fundamentalist or being a conservative. It's a matter of being uh, true to Scripture. Um, and by the way, I have heard that Craig Evans came out with a report uh, saying that the clip that you know, I even played a clip of this debate with Art Bart Ehrman, uh, that that he was that there was more involved than what that clip showed. I, I'm going to wait and hold judgment till I read the the report. Um, by the way, let me say I have the utmost respect for Craig Evans, and that was not an attack upon him. But I was concerned about some of the words that, at least as I had it as was as it was presented. Um, about uh, his debate with Bart Ehrman and uh, and some by some others, but it's not an attack against an individual. You know, in this case, you, you see problems, you see situations that may harm. It may harm the person, or it may harm others, uh, and so you want to stay to the truth. Okay, James says this as much. Okay, a lot of times we want to take a back step, take a back seat, you know, put things on the back burner where we don't, um, you know, approach and involve ourselves with other individuals, beloved individuals, and understand there may be fallout in doing this. Understand there may be problems that come, but if a person is truly seeking after God, if a person is truly seeking to live a right life, they'll see your good intentions in this. James says in James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, Scripture, okay, James, the brother of Jesus, says, My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. The footnote here says in the CSB Study Bible, James turned to the priority of reclaiming those who had strayed from the faith Someone turns and whoever turns, um, uh, someone turns and whoever turns both reflect an effort to st- to bring a straying believer back to an authentic Christian faith and lifestyle. Cover a multitude of sins probably refers to God's forgiveness, as in Psalm thirty-two one and Psalm eighty-five verse two. I- I'm telling you, just looking at the clear teachings of Scripture. That, that discipline and, and, and standing up for the truth and trying to lovingly coerce people back to the truths of Scripture is, is a corrective measure that, uh, that, that helps believers stay on track. If we see someone who's falling, we need to try to lovingly, lovingly reach out to that person and bring them and keep them back on the road bring them back to the road of Christ keep them on the path and listen this is the same this the same is true for me if i am straying i would hope someone loves me enough if they see me straying in the faith that they would love me enough to try to come help but we've become so individualized in, in the society anymore that we just take a case sarah sarah whatever will be will be type of mentality 
But we as the church should uplift one another and help one another along life's path. And in the end, church discipline is not only important as it restores relationships and corrects straying believers, it's also important as it glorifies God through our lives of integrity. And we go to 1 Peter chapter 1, and in verse 14 through 16, Peter says these words. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. Let me turn over there. The page is not wanting to cooperate. It says, As obedient children... Well, actually, let's go back to verse 13. Peter writes, Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy, you are also to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers. Um... Let's just go on in verse 19, 18 through 20. For you know that you are redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. So, though you were dead, in verse 21, this is good stuff right here, folks. Though through him you believe... In God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have been purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for one another from a pure heart, love one another constantly, because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. He goes on to say, quoting uh, Isaiah 40, 6-8, All flesh is like grass, and its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever, and this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. So we have a calling. Because of the salvation we have found in Christ, as Rick Page was saying, because of who we are, the transformation that has happened in our lives, that is going to bring a change in our lifestyles. And that, and as he was even mentioning Monday night, we have to be careful with whom we associate. Uh, you know, is is in the inner workings of our life even. So, so what I'm trying to simply say through all of this is that we, I think Peter is saying that we should be individuals who strive to live by the truth. We are to fix our hope on the grace that is ours at the second coming of Christ, and as resident aliens. Sojourning in this world, as the CSB study Bible says, we are to live distinctly as those who belong to God. It is so critical for our testimony, beloved, that we have integrity. Because it doesn't matter how many times you say you love Jesus, if you don't show it, it's not going to have an impact in the world. James says, 
You show me your faith, I'll show you my works. Faith without works is dead. And this Jesus essentially says the same thing, that if you have been transformed by the grace and power of Almighty God, then you are going to be changed, beloved. There's going to be a change in your life. Good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit. That's just a clear teaching of Scripture. And so many times, we go to church on Sunday morning, we dress up, we say how much we love Jesus, but then Monday through Saturday, we give a horrible testimony by the lives we live. And if we think that God's not going to hold us accountable for that, we're going to be greatly surprised when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ. So, church discipline is biblical. And when we think of church discipline, we often think about the excommunication factor. And, but, but church discipline is even greater than that. It's deeper than that. It means that if you see a person that's straying from the truth, you reach out to that person lovingly and try to help them. This isn't just the opinion of Brian Chilton. This is the truth of Scripture, God's Holy Word. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back at, And as we talk about the latest on the Las Vegas shooting. Of course, this is, uh, we pre-record these podcasts, so chances are likely <laughs> this is going to be dated material by the time it's even published, but we'll give you the latest on this and give you some thoughts uh, about evil and where evil arises. You're listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast. This is Jay Warner Wallace. I hope you'll join me at this year's National Apologetics Conference offered by Southern Evangelical Seminary on October 13th and 14th in the city of Charlotte, North Carolina. I'll be accompanied by a number of great speakers who will help you develop a faith that thinks. That's really, in fact, the entire title of this year's conference, Pursuing a Faith That Thinks. And I also have been interested in this for a number of years. I call this developing a forensic faith. And this is important for us if we're going to equip our youngsters, our young Christians in the faith, to be able to defend what they believe and survive in a growingly hostile culture. So please join me on October 13th and 14th as we pursue a faith that thinks. What does it take to get here? To achieve your career goals and reach new heights you never thought possible. To find new ways to lead others and to make your family prouder than they've ever been. It takes world-class education, support from those around you, and a learning environment that allows you to grow in your faith. It's your time to shine brighter with Liberty University Online. Call us today at 888-461-6473 or visit brighterwithliberty.com to learn how you can shine brighter. Back here on the uh, Bellator Christie podcast, and little Rich Mullins there for you. Our God is an awesome God. 
And so uh, we are going to uh, close out the podcast, looking at a few, uh, looking at a few details pertaining to the shooting in Las Vegas, and of course Stephen Paddock. Uh, the more <laughs> that is learned about this shooting, the more, uh, really, the more disturbing it becomes uh, in some in some ways. And in fact, uh, well, anytime you have a shooting like this, it's it's always disturbing. But uh, perhaps one of the most disturbing aspects of this entire thing is that uh, they really can't find, at least at this point in time, what the motive was. And uh, and I've heard uh, s- several individuals on Fox News say that uh, that uh, that may be the most disturbing aspect of this at all, because we want to know the motive. It kind of gives us a little more control. Uh, it helps us feel a little more in control if we kind of know what the motive was and in really right now we don't know um um well it says the new york times says in one mass shooting after another gunmen have offered telling uh evidence of their motives complaining of baby parts after a shooting uh it some particular places uh, Islamic state you know going on uh you know the day of the san bernardino shooting um asking members of Congress if they were Republican. But, you know, in, in the days of since Stephen Paddock's attack in Las Vegas, uh, there is no clue as to right now, at least as what has been released to the public, of what the motives were. This was premeditated. This was planned. In fact, according to uh, one post on CNN, it uh, even said not that I use CNN that much, but it, it uh, in one particular article they said that he was looking to use tracer bullets or tracers uh, to to be able to see where he was shooting to do more damage. In fact, he many had even said that uh, he had even been uh, looking at tankers trying to shoot tankers to see how he could perhaps do more damage and even escape. I mean, it, it, the chances were very possible that uh, he would have been, that, that he was looking to escape, he was looking to escape and to do these things again. And he'd looked at several, several different, several different uh, venues to to do this. So, so we have to see, and I think if nothing else as a society, we must come to the realization that evil exists. And so we, we ask ourselves, we have to ask ourselves a question, within where, from whence does evil come? Where does evil come from? And evil comes because humans by nature, we don't like to think of this, but this is true. The Bible tells us that humans by nature are inclined to do evil. Paul notes that just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sinned in Romans 5.12. Left to ourselves, we will choose to do evil things because of that sin nature that has infiltrated into the sphere of humanity. We choose the evil more so than the good. Uh, when left to ourselves, we will choose bad things because of our sin inclination to sin. So evil becomes evil comes also because of false philosophies. We don't know what the motives were for Stephen Paddock, but we do know that um, that he obviously held a worldview that did not hold human humanity in high value. 
Uh, philosophy matters. Theology matters. We can assume from his actions that life didn't mean much to him. We can assume by his actions that he must have had a non-existent theology, if at all, or if he did have some form of theology, it must have been one where he was excused for taking multiple lives. Um, so one can assume that he held a low theology, held a low philosophical viewpoint of humanity. So from his actions, we can see that his heart was bad because of his philosophy. Matthew fifteen eighteen and nineteen, Jesus says, uh, "But from what comes out, what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and that this defiles a person." For from the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adultery, sexual, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, slanders, and so on and so forth. So we can see that, that uh, his actions were whatever his, come from his motive, whatever those motives were, they come from they stemmed, emulated from a philosophy that held life to be uh, human life in a low view, and most certainly held what I would believe would be a low theological viewpoint of God. Evil comes because of an unresolved hatred. Um, as a preacher once said, anger is one letter away from danger. Uh, this individual, from what little we know, we do know that he was a very angry individual, mistreated his girlfriend from what some reports had said, was very nasty to her. Um, Jesus says, you have heard it said uh, to to your ancestors, our ancestors do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, he says, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. Evil comes from a heart that is unloving and that holds grudges. Forgiveness, in contrast, is a gift that God has given to us. So, finally, evil comes because of a rejection of Christ. And I believe... The more a society turns away from Christ, the more we can expect to see things like this. Folks, Christ is the answer. I saw another uh, I, I saw another uh, posting from Leah Labresco in today's into in the Washington Post article dated October third, where she said uh, that uh, she was researching gun control and things of that nature to see if this would solve the problem, and she found that it would not solve the problem. She says, and I quote, I examined the evidence. The best ideas left standing were narrowly tailored interventions to protect subtypes of potential victims, not broad attempts to limit the lethality of guns. I researched the strictly tightened gun laws in Britain and Australia and concluded that they didn't prove much about what America's policy should be. Neither nation, she says, experienced drops in mass shootings or other gun-related crime that could be attributed to buybacks and bans. Mass shootings were too rare in Australia for their absence after the buyback program to be clear evidence of progress. In both Australia and Britain, the gun restrictions had an ambiguous effect on other gun-related crimes or deaths. When I looked at the other oft-praised policies, I found out that no gun owner walks into a store to buy an assault weapon. It's an in invented classification that includes any semi-automatic uh, that has two or more features, such as a bayonet mount, rocket-propelled grenade launcher, folding stock, or pistol grip. But guns are modular, and any hobbyist can easily add these features at home, just as if they were snapping together Legos. Okay. She said she kept looking at the data. It seemed less and less clear that one broad gun control restriction could make a difference. 
So she asked what would help. She said, I found the most hope in more narrowly tailored interventions. Potential suicide victims, women menaced by their abusive partners, and kids swept up in street vendettas are all in danger are all in danger from guns, but they each require different protections, she says. Um, so what is the way to save lives? She says, we save lives by focusing on a range of tactics to protect the different kinds of potential victims and reforming potential killers, not from sweeping band, con- bands focused on guns themselves. She hits, I believe, the nail on the head in more ways than one. In all honesty, guns are not the issue. You say, well, no, wait a minute. Guns are what kill people. No, people use the guns to kill others. The fact is, is if someone is going to kill someone, whether it be by a gun or a car or a knife or whatever else, they're going to find a way. The problem is with humanity. The problem is with our sin nature and the only resolution, the only hope that we have to fix this problem is found in Jesus Christ. It's a change in philosophy. It's a change in theology. It's a change in mindset. It's a change in perspective. And folks, for those who are promoting a a secularized society, this is what you get. This is honestly what you get from a society that places no value upon humanity, that places no value upon ethics, that makes everything relativistic rather than focused upon the truth of God, His Word, and of morality. That's why, this is kind of a tie-in, you ask why is it important that we be virtuous? Why is it important that we as Christians place a high view on morality, on ethics, on integrity? This is the reason why. We can be the salt and the light to reach a world of darkness, to reach a world that doesn't know the truth, but we have to have that change in our lives. That change comes by and through Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. That change should have impacted our lives, should impact our lives, and make a difference so that we are seen different by society and different in a good way. Well, beloved, we thank you for listening to today's podcast. May God richly bless you. This is Brian Chilton, and you've been listening to the Villator Christie Podcast. We'll see you back next time. on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Michaela Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas.